Hello, and welcome to episode three of The Gamer's Advocate. Before we dive right into the topics, I wanted to touch upon a game that I've been playing that you may have heard of, but I actually never got around to it, and that's Minecraft. As some of you may know, Minecraft, the Nintendo Switch edition, was released this past week. Man, the Switch is just such a perfect place for this game. I'm really starting to believe I just wish that everything was on the Nintendo Switch, because for the type of gamer I am, where I'm married, and I don't have as much time to just sit in front of the TV all the time, being able to take the system anywhere you go, in bed, to work, when you're traveling, my flight got delayed a few times, but I didn't care, I was just playing the Switch and <laughs> enjoying my time. And I, like I said, I never really played Minecraft. I would jump in it and try and get it, but it never really clicked with me. However, my brother, Jordan, as we talked about last week, he also, well, he was going to purchase it, and I think I convinced him after we tried local co-op, because we started playing the survival mode, and it was a lot of fun. And I, like I said, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, because I'm sure a lot of you have probably already played this game to death, but I've never really gotten into it. The Switch just, it felt right at home. It was fun, and I finally really got into it. And that's the power, like I said last week, of playing with other people. Having a whole Super Mario World to explore didn't hurt either. With the music going, and there were little secrets to find. Like, you would find a giant question block, or a giant Mario statue, and there's enemies and Goombas, and you can change skins into Tanuki Mario, or Yoshi, Princess Peach, or Bowser. And it really <laughs> makes it fun. If you're not really into Minecraft, it gives you that familiar feeling and you've kind of already connected to the game because you're hearing the iconic Mario sounds and seeing the characters and reliving kind of the history of this Mario franchise in blocky form. So we had a really good time. We were building houses and mining and I got a little too greedy at one point and died in lava, but such is the life of a Minecrafter. And that's that's pretty much what I've been doing. I've been watching a lot of Fargo. I actually watched the movie for the first time, and I highly recommend the show and the movie if you haven't seen any of them. But without further ado, I want to jump into the three main topics of our show. The first topic, it's about ARMS and Splatoon. Today, a couple hours ago, as I'm recording this, there was a Nintendo Direct. It was mostly an ARMS one, but they had a little Splatoon 2 trailer at the end just to kind of keep things fresh and keep people excited for the game, which I think was a good idea and a nice change of pace. If you're unfamiliar with ARMS, it's kind of Punch-Out, it's kind of Street Fighter, it's got a little bit of everything, and the main premise is you're one of these 10 characters who has arms, or in some cases hair, that are spring-loaded. And with the motion controls, and I think you can use buttons as well, you actually punch and your arms fling out and there's a bunch of different combinations and you have to try and beat your opponent in a one-on-one -on -one or a two-on-two -two battle. It's looks like a lot of fun. Um, the trailer was, or the direct, was very, very interesting. We started off and they kind of built some lore of the arms verse, as <laughs> I like to call it, and they just had some fun. Like, where did these arms come from? Why do people have spring arms? Was it alien intervention, science, mutation, what happened? And while there isn't a story mode per se, it's nice that there's these little tidbits of lore that just, I mean, for people who like to dig deeper, have the ability to do so if they like it. After the origin story, they started focusing on the two main characteristics of the characters and more importantly, their arms. And these are weight and attributes. The weight is a pretty standard thing. There's light, medium, heavy, so that's pretty straightforward. But what's interesting is they also have attributes, which reminded me a lot of Pokemon because they had a lot of certain elements that are very reminiscent of that franchise and a lot of other series. There's fire, 
there's electric, there's wind, there's ice, there's stun, there's explosion, and there's blind. So the attributes kind of add another layer to your attacks. And the very interesting thing about arms are the different arms that you can equip on your character. Each character, which I'll go into in a second, has three signature arms that they have, even though through certain methods you can unlock more of them. And the characters, there are ten of them. And they're very unique. A lot of them have their own skills, their own style of play, so it really tailors to how you want to come to the game. There's Springman, who has a shockwave that can block enemy attacks or get stronger when your health gets low. There's Mechanica, who has a mech suit of sorts that has arms, and she doesn't have arms naturally, but she gets them by inventing a suit to join the battle. There's Ninjara, and can warp around the battlefield when he dodges. One of the coolest looking characters, in my opinion, is Master Mummy. He's this big lumbering mummy. He's obviously wrapped in bandages, and his arms are made of that. So the motif of the character kind of flows into their attacks. And he's a big lumbering character, so when he gets punched, he doesn't phase easily. Kid Cobra is a speed demon who's very quick on his feet and is probably one of the fastest characters. Ribbon Girl can jump in midair multiple times, and she can also return to the ground very fast, so she's probably one of the most mobile characters, allowing you to move around the battlefield in very, probably pretty fun ways. Min Min is another favorite of mine, as she is known as the Ramen Bomber. The last three are also very interesting, and Helix may be the most unique of the bunch, and he was created in an arms laboratory, and he is basically a big jelly man who can stretch. And one of his signature gloves is the Blorb, which is basically this bouncy big blue ball that when it hits you, splashes ink or goo all over the opponent's face, so it makes it hard to see. And then very similar to an Ice Climbers or something in Smash Brothers, we have Bite and Bark, who is a team character. They are basically a cop and a dog is what it kind of looks like. And you take the role of Bite, and Bark kind of has his own AI where he's going to attack and annoy the enemy. And you can also use him as a launching pad, which should add for some interesting moments especially. I can imagine when your opponent is at low health and you make it super epic by jumping on Bark, taking a giant swing and winning the battle. I can see that being a cool finisher. And last is Twintel, the local movie star. And the interesting thing about her is her arms are actually her pigtails on her hair. So she doesn't have, she doesn't fight traditionally with her arms. So, like I say, there are a lot of very unique characters that I think should allow people to find their favorites and hopefully they throw in some backstory, kind of like what Overwatch has been doing, to really make you care and get endeared to these characters. But all these characters wouldn't be anything special if there weren't game modes and ways to play with them. And ARMS seems to have a pretty good amount of content at launch. You can obviously do basic versus mode, one-on-one, two-on-two. There's a Grand Prix mode, which is an interesting title and it's kind of aped from Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And that takes you through 10 different challenges as, these, as each character while you're racking up coins to unlock more items. But the, the versus modes and the party modes are where it gets pretty cool. There's V-Ball, which is volleyball, and the ball is explosive. There's a basketball game called Hoops, where you have to basically slam dunk or shoot threes with your opponent. Yeah, there's no ball. Your opponent is the ball, and the person who scores the most wins. And also there's Skill Shot, which has targets coming up, and you have to hit the most. And there's a 1 versus 100 mode, where it's a countless wave of enemies. And of course, there's Training and Test, where you can try out your arms and your weapons and your character combinations and learn the basics of the game.
You can also take your battle online or locally. And the cool thing about online is you could have up to 20 people in a lobby together. Now the game is being released on June 16th and if you're a little on the fence about it, there's going to be a global test punch that'll allow you to get in and learn the ways of arms. And like the Splatoon global test fires, they are only at certain times. So they didn't mention the times per se, but there will be one on May 26th, 27th, and 28th, as well as June 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. So this will allow you and your friends to get in. Hopefully they have some online verses so you can test it out and see how you like it because the true value of this game is going to depend on how well it plays with others and what the replay value is. And if there's these moments and incredible things that Mario Kart and Smash can offer where every battle is different and holds its own unique flavor. Because the game looks great and I feel like they really are putting a lot of effort into it and the, with the 10 characters. And they even said that there's going to be free... DLC and content with new modes and characters and maps coming out. So it means that it will be supported for a long time and the, the player base won't be segmented by people who want to shell out the cash to get new stuff and who don't. So I think it's a very good strategy, but it all depends on how the game plays. Will the motion control truly be one-to-one? -one? Are there going to be button controls for people who don't like the motion? How's the progression? Because there's no, there's no campaign mode per se. But maybe the fun of it is finding all these different arms and finding the perfect combination and just really taking it to your friends. And at the end of this Nintendo Direct, they took a 180 degree turn and they started talking about Splatoon. Basically, it was just a trailer that's showing that, yes, Splatoon 2 will have a single player campaign mode. And the campaign brings you right back into the world of Splatoon 2. And you find Marie. She beckons you to follow her down a sewer grate. And once you come out, she tells you that Hallie has gone missing. It's up to you to find her. And not only that, but according to the official Nintendo description, you'll have to be searching for the great Zapfish as well. The trailer showed traditional platforming. Seems like there'll be some interesting bosses. There was some guy riding a little unicycle or something. And there's going to be unlocking weapons and finding powerful items. And just getting a very interesting take on the Splatoon world. And... The first Splatoon had a really great campaign that I think surprised a lot of people because you weren't really expecting too much from it, but it has that Nintendo charm and the level design and puzzles that really make you enjoy what you're doing and not just feel like it's a slog or a way to just pad the enjoyment or value of the game. So hopefully it's a beefy story mode that has that charm and quirkiness that Splatoon does so well. Yeah, and that's really all they showed about Splatoon. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a more Splatoon 2 focused Nintendo Direct after E3 comes up because the game is coming out July 21st, so not too much longer to wait. But I'm very excited for that game and I'm excited for ARMS. So what did you think of the Splatoon 2 and ARMS Direct? Are you excited for either of these games? Are you looking for more? What would sell you on them? Are you still on the fence about the Switch? Let us know. And that's topic one. Topic 2 is a story that broke last week, and Kotaku is the one who broke it. said that according to four sources, Bioware is putting Mass Effect on hiatus. I had to wear my Mass Effect Andromeda shirt in honor of this wonderful franchise because it's unfortunate to see that they're kind of putting this franchise on the back burner after the success and love of the Mass Effect trilogy, but Mass Effect Andromeda has rubbed people the wrong way a lot of people the wrong way and it's it's sad to see such a incredible series kind of get this treatment even though i mean with the mass effect 3 ending debacle it this franchise is not new to these kind of 
controversy. It's very telling about Mass Effect Andromeda that I've only played about three hours of this game when the Mass Effect trilogy is one of my favorite gaming experiences or entertainment experiences of all time. It just, I don't know, it feels like Mass Effect and I enjoyed being back in that world, but there was something about it that just didn't grab me as much as I was hoping it would. And I was trying to figure out, and that's why I kind of wanted to make a topic about it, like why is it going on hiatus? Why didn't Mass Effect Andromeda hit with everybody? And what do we think that the franchise needs to do or what was it missing? And I think one of the main problems with Mass Effect Andromeda as opposed to the trilogy is Mass Effect Andromeda was a side story and that's great and you're allowed to tell side stories there's nothing wrong with that but what I loved and loved about the original Mass Effect trilogy especially when you were starting Mass Effect 1 is you knew that every choice you made would have effects and ripples for two more titles for years down the road and everything had so much weight to it and you were exploring a new universe a new galaxy meeting new aliens and new friends and learning all the, the history of what happened and how humanity rose to its rightful place in the stars. And Mass Effect Andromeda just felt more like a continuation. And while there was a wait, and I do like where the story is headed, and I will finish it. I will finish it. I promise you that. It just, I don't know, it didn't feel as impactful as knowing that choices I make will affect my life years from now, who I have relationships with or who I decide to side with in certain arguments or certain conflicts. It's very upsetting to see that because they didn't necessarily close the door on Andromeda continuing, but they were basically saying this is going to be a one-time issue. While I know the problem with having a trilogy like that is you are cutting out certain people because it's hard to get someone to jump into Mass Effect 3 if they haven't played one or two, but the power that that entails for those loyal fans and those people is unlike anything else in video game history. Also, and I've been reading a lot of reviews and a lot of theories about why Andromeda wasn't hitting, and it's not super spoilers, but if you don't want to know anything about Mass Effect Andromeda, then maybe stop listening for a few seconds, but there's only a couple new alien species that are introduced, the Ket and the Angara. And while they seem very interesting, the whole fun was learning about the Drell and the Hanar and the Turians and the Quarians and the Krogan. And while a lot of those are returning and you can't overload people because you want to service the fans of the past and service the new people, it didn't really feel like we were going to a completely new galaxy. It felt like we were still in our Milky Way galaxy, but there were just a few new visitors. So I think that's one of the issues that kind of hurt the exploration and feeling that you were learning about a new universe which really pulled you into the original Mass Effect trilogy so quickly. And obviously, I mean, the, the technical issues. It goes without saying that that does pull you out of the experience and the eyes and the facial animations are very uncanny and it is hard to get invested when you're so focused on these lips not moving correctly or these people not looking right for whatever reason. And I know patches can fix these and they've already made great lengths to make this a lot better. It was still there and it was still an issue. So once again, I can't speak too much to Mass Effect Andromeda at the moment because I haven't completed it, but I can speak to Mass Effect as a whole. Now there's a lot of places that I think the series could go. I, it would be very interesting to kind of experience the first contact war 
where the humans finally find a mass relay and come into the bigger universe and encounter the Turians and start a big war. I think that would be very interesting to see how humanity found its place. Or getting back to see the after effects of what Shepard did. Because, let's be honest, people loved Shepard. They loved the, the characters. And while we that story may be completed, the ramifications are huge. We want to see how the universe reacted to Shepard's heroic ideas. And I know it's hard because, obviously, there's many choices and there's different endings, different colors, as some would say. And it would be hard to kind of make everybody happy with this, but I would love to get back to our world and maybe set it a hundred or two hundred years forward. But just having this, this touchstone and this pillar in the background. And I really hope they explore it. And this is completely something different. And I hope if you haven't seen this theory, you look it up because I still want to believe. I still want to believe that the indoctrination theory is real. And that's all I'll say about that right now. But look that up if you haven't because it is mind-blowing. <laughs> now, there's, there's a lot of... Bioware's got a lot of things going on. They're working on a brand new IP that is supposed to be a shared world type game. And maybe it'll be more of a fantasy type shared world which could be pretty interesting as we're hearing a little bit of rumors about that even though even though it's been delayed even though it was never announced but part of these this breaking news about mass effect going on hiatus is saying the new ip is going to be delayed till maybe 2019 so they're obviously working on that they're working on they're working on star wars battlefront 2 there's a bunch of star wars games coming out by amy hennig and visceral games and there's a lot of stuff going on bioware and i think it's fine to take a step back from Mass Effect and really find what made it special. But what really made it special to me was the weight of these choices, was the fact that every action you did had ripples that would stay with you for a very long time. And I think that's kind of what Mass Effect Andromeda lost a little bit. Another complaint that I've heard a lot of people talking about is that the game is just way too long. There's some padded things here and there and they could have made a much more concise story that would have really been more impactful but they obviously tried to make it as big and open as possible and I think they may have shot themselves in the foot. So once again that's really what I wanted to kind of talk about is where I kind of could see the Mass Effect franchise going and what I would like to see and why I think that maybe Mass Effect Andromeda didn't hit with as many people as I thought it would. What are your thoughts on the hiatus or on Mass Effect taking a break? Would you want to see it come back? Would you say, let's just let's just let bygones be bygones and say the Mass Effect trilogy was incredible and Dramada was a good game, but it didn't live up to it, and that's it. Let's try new things. I mean, I these, these games sell very well, so I am very doubtful that we would never see it again, but it might be a little while. But getting a break is good. I think it allows you to step back, take a breath, and see the mistakes that you've made and what you can do to really improve and make something truly special. And that's topic two. In topic three, we're gonna do our first top five list. If you follow IGN or Game Informer, you, you know that they did a top 100 RPGs list. And coincidentally, they released them at pretty much the same time, which was pretty funny and shows how <laughs> kind of a small world it is and how weird things can happen in a vacuum and everybody could come to the same decision a la Battlefield 1 and Call of Duty World War 2. There's uh, a lot of things going on behind the scenes, but the way trends are going, sometimes these things just happen. 
And while I'm not going to sit here and list my top 100 RPGs, I did want to focus on my top 5, and it was pretty tough to narrow it down because RPGs are one of my favorite genres in video games. And I tried to narrow it down and not choose the same games from certain franchises, and I tried to make kind of a broad spectrum. And I pretty, I'm pretty happy with the list that I made, and I'm sure it could change by next week, but I wanted to give you my top 5 as well as some honorable mentions. So we're going to jump right into the top five list, and then I'll let you know some games that almost made it. So without further ado, number five, Fallout 3. This game is one that I didn't have too many expectations about. I've heard good things about the Fallout franchise, but I never played any of the original ones. But a post-apocalyptic world with an interesting VAT system, one where you can kind of get lost in and explore a wasteland and see what happened to the world really appealed to me because I love that kind of fiction. I love what if, how do people survive in impossible situations? How do you survive in situations that obviously would never happen in the real world, hopefully, but that's the power of video games. They give you the, the chance to live out these fantasies in these worlds. And Fallout 3 was an incredible, unique world that I just couldn't stop playing. And I will tell you, while it's a great game on its own, I think what really set Fallout 3 apart for me was the music, and most importantly, Galaxy News Radio. Walking through this desolate, messed up world with Billie Holiday or Cole Porter or the Ink Spots playing just created this dichotomy of amazingness that I could not get enough of. And while the soundtrack wasn't huge and a lot of the songs repeated after a while, it never got old for me fighting these monstrosities of radiation and searching these decrepit homes and subway systems and solving these mysteries, all while listening to some of the best music of the last millennium. It just, I don't know what it was, but music is so powerful and I think really helps elevate games and movies to another level. I mean, imagine Star Wars without John Williams' score. It's, it, I really don't think it would be the same without these incredible moments that bring you in and give you another touch point. And whenever I hear any of these songs, I get instantly transported back into the wasteland and am back at these feelings of being lost for almost over a hundred hours of exploring and finding every secret that this world had to offer. Fallout 3 was something that I really hold true to my heart. And the interesting thing is Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 4 didn't grasp me as much as Fallout 3. And I, and I keep struggling with why. I enjoyed the games, but they didn't bring me back to this world as much as I hoped they would. And I don't know if I just put so much into Fallout 3 and played that game so much that those games didn't feel too different. They felt more of an extension instead of an upgrade. But Fallout 3 still sets the bar for these kind of games, and I haven't been able to recapture that magic since then. And I hope sooner or later I'm brought back in, but for now I'm happy with just listening to these incredible songs and remembering the good times of surviving some crazy wasteland. Number four, Pokemon Red and Blue. The classic game, the original, that started the worldwide phenomenon known as Pokemon. I'll never forget in 1998, standing in my grandparents' kitchen when my Nana came home with Pokemon Blue. And this is another game that I really didn't know too much about. I was 10 years old at the time. And when I popped this game in, I I feel my video game world and my idea of entertainment and how games can be just blew to a new level. I just couldn't believe that I had this incredible game that I could take anywhere. 
I could collect all these monsters, become friends with them, raise them, level them up, conquer a world, become a champion, beat the Elite Four, and do all this while I was in a car or going on a trip. Pokemon Red and Blue, once again, with, with incredible music, incredible design, incredible addictive qualities, really hit a chord with me and still stays with me today. I will never forget choosing Squirtle, and let me tell you, that first choice of Bulbasaur, Squirtle, and Charmander, I probably stood there for a good hour because they all looked awesome, was very tough, but Squirtle became a good friend of mine, and once I found Pidgey, and I found a Scyther, and I found Pikachu after watching the show, it really became something special to me, and something that I knew wasn't going away, and would transcend video games. Because like I said, the TV show came out, there was a trading card game, stuffed animals, and the continuing release of these titles. But Pokemon Red and Blue is just something special. The Kanto region, remembering the moments and doing it for the first time. Because the biggest problem that I've had with Pokemon lately is it feels the same. And a lot of the same issues that I had with Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 4, the formula didn't change all that much. While they add new stuff and incredible creatures and the graphics improve, the main concept and reward loop stuck the same. And Pokemon Sun and Moon actually, spoiler alert, made my honorable mention because I feel it did feel different and really helped recapture that magic of exploring and being in this Pokemon world again. But I'd have to say that the reason Pokemon Red and Blue stuck with me also so much is when it hit when I was 10 years old and my imagination was at its peak. It was a world that I wanted to be in. I wanted to, to somehow join this Pokemon world and go out on an adventure and do everything I can to become the greatest trainer and Pokemon master in the world. And I just remember playing with my friends and pretending that we were actually in this world. And I think that's the power and why it made my top five list is because it transcended video games. It opened my eyes and became a lifelong friend that I still play today. I check Pokemon Go all the time. I'm still battling with my brother and trying to catch all the Pokemon. And while I've never gotten a complete Pokedex, I'm getting pretty close. But Pokemon Red and Blue is just a special game that deserves its spot as number four. Number three, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. First off, who can forget HK-47? I mean, what a classic character that it's, it's sad the Star Wars, the new regime has made a lot of these extended universe titles and books obsolete, so Knights of the Republic never happened per se. But maybe we'll see these characters because they have been bringing in a lot of extended universe characters in new ways. But Knights of the Old Republic started my love affair with Bioware and allowed me to live out my fantasy of becoming a Jedi Knight. As with Pokemon, Star Wars is you can't even describe what Star Wars is. It's not a worldwide phenomenon. It's something even greater. It's something that it really is a way of life. If you look into it and you take certain messages, it can help shape who you are as a man. And I feel that Star Wars has helped shape who I am as a man. Growing up, I also always pretended I was a Jedi, a righteous knight in the universe. And being able to play Knights of the Republic and living that life was a dream come true finding new characters and searching worlds and going to worlds like Tatooine and Dantooine and Kashyyyk that you've only heard about in the movies or seen thousands of years in the future. You got to experience a brand new Star Wars story 
that you got to live and you got to be the star of. And and who could forget the twist at the end and all the incredible characters and moments along the way and crafting your lightsaber for the first time and regaining your memory and learning everything there is to know about this world. I recently downloaded it on, well, I guess not recently now, it's been probably a couple years now, on my iPad and iPhone. And if I could have told a younger Adam that he would be able to take KOTOR with him anywhere, he probably would have fainted. It holds up pretty well. Maybe it doesn't have all the magic that it had during those days, but those memories of living my first Star Wars story were one that won't leave me for a very long time. Number two is Mass Effect 2. As you heard in the last topic, the Mass Effect trilogy is supremely important to me and really engaged me in a franchise and a game that, unlike I've never done before, the Mass Effect trilogy focused on choice and consequences. And when I started playing Mass Effect, once again, I got to live out my dream of exploring space and meeting new creatures and, and becoming a hero. And all while knowing that every action that I took would affect me in a few years when the next entry came out and eventually when the conclusion came out. And the reason I picked Mass Effect 2 over Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 3 which I love in their own right, and it's hard to beat Saren and the villain that he was in Mass Effect 1 and the first view into this galaxy, into this world. And with Mass Effect 3 ending aside, the swan song and the conclusion and the incredible moments that Mass Effect 3 brought you. But Mass Effect 2 was so special because it showed that Bioware could do it. You saw this, you started to see the consequences of Mass Effect 1. And you started to see conversations come back to you and relationships fall apart. And beyond that, Mass Effect 2 focused on the ally missions and really getting close with your squad mates and building up this team from across the galaxy of the best and the brightest to complete a suicide mission. And I'll never forget the ending of that game and doing all I can to prepare for this mission that you're not supposed to come back from. And I made it out with everybody alive because I knew these characters. I knew their strengths. I knew their weaknesses. I knew to send Tally in this vent and to send Samara to protect us because I knew they could handle it because Bioware built these characters so well that you didn't have to guess. And it felt so rewarding because I didn't have to look this up. I didn't have to find a cheat code or find a perfect strategy. I played the game so I knew the characters. And that's what made that game so special. It set up the incredible finale while also living up to the promise of having your consequences and your choices truly matter. And it's just such an incredible, incredible game. And while Garrus is my favorite character, Mass Effect 2 also introduced Legion and Thane who would have some of the best moments and Morden who would have some of the best moments in the entire franchise. They just kept adding new things while calling back to the original game. and. That was a game that when those credits rolled, I was devastated because I could not believe that that experience was over. But I knew that Mass Effect 3 was coming and I would get to finish the fight. Oh, Mass Effect 2, number two, and just one of the best games of all time. Not just one of my favorite RPGs, but one of my favorite games of all time. Number one, last but certainly not least. I know this answer may be cliche, but this game is number one on my list, more so for what it meant to me 
and for the moments that I had and the people who I shared it with. And this game is not only my favorite RPG of all time, but my favorite game of all time. This title, Final Fantasy VII. Yep, Final Fantasy VII, the journey of Cloud and Ares and Barret and Red Thirteen. This game just speaks to me and feels made for the way that I play video games. And my journey with it was not a great one at the start. I remember renting it from a blockbuster in probably 1998 and didn't really love it. I played the opening bombing mission and wasn't really pulled into it and maybe I was too young, I was 11 years old. But a couple years later, I went to my friend Drew's house and he was playing it. And I just remember sitting down and he was maybe halfway through the game and I sat down and watched him for hours. I could not take my eyes off it because I was amazed by this world with the materia and these summons and these character moments and all the little side quests you could do. There was so much to this incredible world that I had to go home and finally get it. And once my dad purchased it for me, I played it and just could not get enough. I laughed, I cried, I grinded, I tried to find every secret. When I finally got a gold chocobo and Knights of the Round Table, it was such an incredible achievement. I remember running up and down the hallway and telling my dad and brother, who have no care about video games, but I didn't. it didn't matter. I just had to tell the world. And the story resonated with me with the giant twist, which, spoiler warning, but Ares died, and that really showed me consequences could happen because in a lot of games everybody always wins there's there's moments of sadness and defeat but you don't lose a character and i trained up aries a lot because she was a good healer and all that training was gone she just took a sword through her body and she was gone and that added so much more weight to the rest of the game where you were trying to avenge her and defeat this man who was just going on this mad streak it was such an incredible game with incredible music, and it was a world that I never, ever wanted to leave. And the reason that Final Fantasy VII is my favorite game of all time, because I don't replay games very much. I am very into trying everything that's new and being part of the conversation and, the, and learning everything that's coming out. But every once in a while, I have this urge to go back and to play Final Fantasy VII. And I've beaten this game five times, and most recently I achieved the Platinum Trophy on PS4. And it was such an incredible experience playing the big moments on my, on my television, and then beaming it down to my PlayStation Vita, and grinding while watching The Office or watching another show. And it's just a game that lends itself to what, however you want to play it. You can make your characters into any way you want. You can race chocobos and raise them. You can find all these secret summons, find secret characters, level up, and live in this world that is quirky and weird, but fantastic. And while I'm excited for the, the remake, if it ever comes out, it'll be interesting to see if it retains that magic and wonder that Final Fantasy VII brought with it, because Final Fantasy VII changed the gaming landscape and brought in these 3D incredible worlds and really showed the power of video games. Final Fantasy VII just holds a special place in my heart because I've shared it with my friends and I've seen them beat it and fall in love with it and help them find all the certain secrets of the game and have jumped back in it at different stages in my life 
when I was ready and able to find all these secrets and defeat these challenges that made eluded me on previous playthroughs and finding it on the PlayStation Vita where I could take it anywhere was an incredible experience. And it just keeps coming back in my life. I mean, for example, when I pre-ordered the Final Fantasy VII PS4 version, I got this theme on the PlayStation 4 where every time you booted it up, Ares theme, a piano version, came on. And it just... I think a big theme in my top five list is music. And it just holds... It brings me to a place of pure happiness and joy and control because this is a game that I've conquered and I've come to love. And it's it's very comforting and wonderful. And I just... I can't say enough good things about Final Fantasy VII. And I truly do think that it holds up pretty well. I mean, I, I strongly, strongly recommend playing the PS4 version because you can speed up the time and you, it helps makes grinding a whole lot easier. But I think the story and the moments and the materia system and the characters hold up fantastically. And I would not hesitate to recommend it to anyone. So there you have it. There's my top five list. Um, I wanted to list a few honorable mentions. Mass Effect 1 and 3, for obvious reasons that I explained in my list. As far as the Final Fantasy series, I really fell in love with 9 and 10, and I know people say that 6 is the best, and I have never fully played that game, which is probably one of my darkest gaming secrets, so sorry. But I have been meaning to, and will jump into that game sooner or later. The Witcher 2 and 3 are just... These games are on another level. They really are on another level of world building and side quests and character choice and consequence. And while I haven't finished Witcher 3 yet, the level of care that CD Projekt Red put into that game is unlike pretty much any other game on the market. Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 is another honorable mention because Disney and Final Fantasy are two of my favorite things in the world and Square Enix decided to bring them together. It's just... Oh man, a world I would love to explore and see how they handle these known characters and mash them together and put them in interesting situations. And while Kingdom Hearts 3 is another game that may never come out, I know it will, but it feels like it will never come out. I can't wait to see where that franchise goes next. So those are a few honorable mentions, and that was my top five list. And I would love to hear your top five list. Do you agree with my list? Would you have changed the order? Would you have removed games? Am I crazy for putting Final Fantasy VII as number one? I would love to hear your thoughts and please send your top five lists and everything that you think to adam at thegamersadvocate.com or comment below or send us a tweet or anything and be a part of the conversation. I want to know about you and what your gaming habits are because top five lists I feel really can tell a lot about a person and I hope it didn't tell the wrong thing about me. <laughs> But that concludes episode three of The Gamer's Advocate, and I really hope you enjoyed these topics. I had a lot of fun talking about them and researching them. And remember to stay in touch, to follow, to subscribe, to like, to do all, leave us a review on iTunes if you're so inclined, and be a part of the conversation. You can follow me at Adam Bankhurst, or you can follow The Gamer's Advocate at Gamer's Advocate. Remember to email us at adam at thegamersadvocate.com and send us questions, send us topics. What would you like to see this show become? I look forward to 
seeing what next week brings. And I know next week we'll be talking about the Destiny 2 reveal that's happening tomorrow as we record. And I'm excited to see what that brings because I really did enjoy Destiny. And I think with a little love and care, Destiny 2 could be something truly, truly special. So I hope you have a great day and or night. And I wish you all nothing but the best. Thank you.